0: I welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the 25 Live. My special guest this week is Battalion Chief Steve Kahn from the Corrine Township Fire Department. Uh, I was just uh, got to spend time with Steve last week at our, our conference, and uh, he was also part of our conference the year before. He's got a uh, pretty interesting story, pretty powerful story, and I really just wanted to give him the opportunity to, uh, to share it with all of you. So, that being said, Steve, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you, Jim. I appreciate you having me. I appreciate the opportunity to talk. Obviously, you know, I, I like to talk.
0: <laughs> it's, but you're good at it, as do I. So <laughs> probably too much, at least what my wife would say. But uh, Me too. I, <laughs> I digress. So go ahead. Just kind of, you know, why why are you here? Why why am I talking to Steve Cohen? What, what got you to this point where I get to bug you on a late Sunday night?
1: Well, Jim, you, you've heard my story. Um, my story is, uh, I would say, by all accounts, not unusual over the years. Um, I had a mayday. Um, we have recorded hundreds, if not thousands, of maydays over the past decade or so. Um, but uh, the, so, not to diminish anything that's happened to anybody else, but I think uh, I, I had a unique. Path that I traveled after my mayday that set me up for some really really deep dark times um, over over a period of years that um, at the time we weren't recognizing uh, post traumatic stressors as really a possible problem with firefighters um, you know up until about 2010 12 ish we never really heard of firefighters suffering from uh, that syndrome called ptsd we always thought the job would uh um, we'd see things we would experience things we'd probably have some nightmares over the years but we were never diagnosed or never being told that we could have ptsd that was something that we heard that just occurred to um, our brave men and women come back from you know uh, from battle and from uh from war so um, I guess just to dive in, um, in 2001, um, excuse me, 2003, I uh, fell into a basement fire. It was a routine, single-family, residential, uh, with a walkout basement type of fire. We pulled up. We thought we had a pretty, pretty advanced fire growth up in the attic, possibility of somebody home Back in 2003, we didn't do 360s, so I basically um, went off on about 75% of information. Instead of having the whole picture, we decided that we were going in and we were going to uh, sweep the house to make sure that nobody was in there because there was still possibility because there was a car out in the driveway. Um, We thought we were going in to do a routine attic fire with some heavy involvement up there, and at some point in time... Um, after making entry uh, with my probationary firefighter, the floor opened up and I went into the basement fire. Um, I've got the recording of my of my May and um, uh, the frantic call, the firefighter uh, laying on the ground, reaching through the hole, holding my hand um, to try and keep me oriented. But the, the basic line is that I spent seven minutes in a basement fire before I was able to self-rescue. And that in and of itself um, is fairly routine from around the around the world, around the fire service. That firefighters fall into floors, they get into maydays, and they find themselves a way out. Um, uh, we do send RIT teams in to uh, to effect the rescues and, and and things like that. But in 2003, the way it was handled. Um, was the way it would have been handled at every other fire department that I know of. And that was the suck it up buttercup Mm -hmm. mentality. Um, I was basically my whole story, my whole episode was minimized and I was told basically to shut up. It was nothing. It was no big deal. Just keep working. And that set me up because I felt like my, my service and my, my dedication to my job was being questioned or minimized to where I, or devalued. I was being devalued as a firefighter. Um, And at that point in time, I'd been a firefighter for 16, 17 years. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, over the next couple of years, I just started sinking into a hole. Um, We know that the job causes stress from a particular incident or, few incidents here and there, but we can also um, suffer from a cumulative or a chronic traumatic stress, and that's the constant ups and downs throughout an entire career um, of anywhere from a week to, you know, 30 years, Um, the constant ups and downs wear us down, along with the sleep cycle uh, disruptions and all that, and then we have life on top of it. To where I was at the time working towards my master's degree and that's when everything came grinding to a halt. Um, my work, my job, my life, my family, everything came crashing down on me and I found myself for, you know, I'll just call it what it was. I was suicidal and that was in 2005. I was able to, uh, with the help of my wife, um, I was able to check myself into a facility and was able to get the help that I needed at the time. Um, So my story basically is, you know, we are vulnerable to this type of stuff. We are human. We can get through it if we have the right support systems in place, if we have um, the right uh, clinicals, the right clinicians in the area that can help us out, and we're not afraid to discuss the problem uh, at the dinner table at the fire station and that's pretty much it in a nutshell
0: no it's a lot to digest there for sure
1: <laughs> i'll repeat uh, it
0: <laughs> <laughs> no um what were some of the i mean was it obvious now looking back that you had um different signs like you were uh lashing out in anger or distancing yourself or any of those classic signs uh, that we see so often in these situations.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, Jim. It was part. Y- you know the saying, you can't see the forest for the trees. Sure. Um, If you listened to me um, without any input from anybody else, I would have told you I was doing okay. I was doing fine. Um, I thought I had I had perceptions of what I thought had happened at the fire um, and what happened immediately after. But if you talk to those closest to me, like my wife, she will tell you that I was anything but fine. Um, I was listening to my Mayday call repeatedly. Uh, that Mayday call is 10 plus minutes of the, the, all the surrounding uh, radio traffic. Um, I was short with the kids. I was sleeping a lot. I, had, I, had, I started getting claustrophobia. And I never had problems with that kind of stuff. I stopped working out. So if you were to, if I, as I look back, there are some telltale signs and symptoms um, that almost like a textbook. Yeah, this guy's got PTSD. Um, and if you look at the DSM criteria for PTSD, it definitely fits in there. Um, but yeah, there were some signs. There were some symptoms. But I think the really important part here is that I couldn't see the forest for the trees. It took my wife to basically help me through to recognize that, you know, there's a lot going on here. Um, And we were able to pick things apart. But this was years later, um, because remember what I said in 2005, we weren't being diagnosed as PTSD. I was diagnosed with depression, even after my hospitalization. It wasn't until um, several years after that, that I was sitting on the beach with my wife and she started asking me questions about it. And we were able to pick away my perception and really look at the reality of it and see how it was affecting me. We compared that with some of uh, the DSM criteria and it just screened post-traumatic stress disorder.
0: Okay, um, now, once you sought help what uh, what was the process like after that to be able to return to work and 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 kind of get back on track?
1: Well, um, and I hate to keep saying going back, but in two thousand five, we were a different organization. Um, And the the fire service was different in general. We know a lot more about it now in 2019 and the way um, little things here and there can really have big impacts. But uh, in 2005, I was, um, as far as the work goes, uh, it's kind of a humorous story where I was sitting in the emergency room waiting to go to the um, the, the mental health, uh, facility. And they, they were so busy in the emergency department. They put me in the hallway right next to the squad doors. Um, the squad doors opened up and here come two Coleraine medics, two of my own people. And, and they looked at me and they said, captain, what's going on? And before I could say anything, my wife just, she said, he's having headaches, he can't sleep, they're going to do a CAT scan. Um, well, these guys went back to the firehouse and basically said, hey, Captain Khan's dying of a brain tumor. And and, and, and it's, it's humorous in the fact that I would have been okay with that description, rather than saying, Captain Khan's having some trouble with life right now. We didn't talk about things like that. So my department knew nothing about my mental health struggles until 2017. The only people that knew were the chief and one of the guys that I got on the job with back in 1993, um, there, Colrin, my wife went with him to the chief and explained everything and they kept it confidential. The department didn't know about it. Um, Ended up, I ended up with a CPAP machine. So they thought I just had sleep apnea. And the department basically said that I, you know, a lot of the guys were joking around, but I got a month off of work just because I couldn't sleep. Um, you know, and, and I'm okay with that because, well, God forbid, I go out and say, Hey guys, I was having trouble with life and I didn't think I could deal with it anymore. Today, 2019, I think we're breaking down this stigma to where Someone at the station needs help, and we aren't afraid to offer that help. We're not afraid to discuss it. We're not afraid to um, reach out to our brothers and sisters and see how we can help them out, if that makes sense.
0: No, perfect sense. Uh, I am curious, though. I mean, you you kept this kind of close to the heart for 12 years. What made you finally feel like it's okay to talk about this?
1: Well, I was sitting at a restaurant with a good friend of mine um, who's now the battalion chief up in Williston, North Dakota. A little shout out there to my buddy Mike Fronimus up there. And he said, well, we were both members of the National Information Officers Association. He was the president at the time. And he basically said, Steve, you have a story to tell. People can can benefit from your story. I think it's time to tell it, and that was in 2017. So in 2017, he gave me the uh, the he gave me the power back to myself to go ahead and start talking about it, and and he was able to get me up on a on a stage in front of a few hundred people and tell my story for the first time, and I did that at a national conference, and the response has been. Um, incredibly humbling because I never knew how many people out there have struggled. Um, every time I talk, somebody comes up with another story um, and it's even been so much that we've even had interventions after I've talked where we have been able to get people into help um, because they just realize, you know what my story gave them enough strength To finally ask for help and we've had people all the way from just having some issues that needed to talk to a clinician to having a severe anxiety and um, almost suicidal ideations um, following the uh, the presentation that's why when I talk I always tell people please please if I'm striking a chord please go out take a breath see me afterwards Part of being a peer supporter is helping to navigate and help navigate these really confusing waters of what clinicians are available to me. So um, that's the story of how I got started. Uh, My my buddy got me to talk, and um, it seems like there isn't a a week that goes by that I'm not talking to somebody about um, this, this problem in the fire service. And, you know, and all I, my solution to this whole thing, uh, is just one piece of the, of the puzzle, uh, which is just being nice to each other and talking to each other and getting to know your people. Cause that's the, that's the basis of my, uh, of my clinical expertise in this is if we treated each other a little bit nicer, I think we can, uh, that would go a long way.
0: I think you're right about that. Um. You know, I was back in 2001 is when I started in Dayton, and I'm willing to bet, just like uh, Rain, times have definitely changed. Um, is it is it okay to talk about this stuff now? I mean, is it, uh, I don't know if I want to say welcome, but it's, it's acceptable, and it's not, uh, the stigma's not there. Is that true at your department now?
1: Well, that's what we're trying to break down. We're trying to break down that stigma. Um, and I think we're doing a better job of it. Um, I, I tend to, you know, uh, not that I, I browbeat everybody on my shift at at the stations about this, but I'm, you know, we've been able to start a peer support program, um, at our, at Colerain, you know, through the IAFF, we were able to send, uh, I think we have seven peer supporters through the program. Um, and it's working wonderfully. Um, the, the guy that's uh, coordinating it all is outstanding. And we have some meetings, uh, some regular meetings, and we find out just how effective or how many people we're reaching. Um, the confidentiality por- portion is there. Uh, we're, we have about 150 or so members on the department. And I couldn't tell you who's talking to a peer supporter um, because of the confidentiality piece, which is so huge in this. But the numbers that we're, we're being told are significant enough to think, I, I think we're making a difference. Um, and we're even working at the county level to put together a, an umbrella program that involves peer support, CISM, psychological or stress first aid and all these clinicians were trying to make an umbrella program here in, in the county so people don't slip through the cracks. So, yeah, I think we're making, we're making some headway. It's changed. Some of the older guys don't, uh, they don't believe in it. Um, that's okay. That's okay. They are dealing with things their own way, but um, for the newer members on the department, we have to change as leaders. We have to provide them new opportunities of learning, and we have to learn right along with them. And I think what we're learning is our newer firefighters, um, they react and they process things differently than we did just 15 years ago.
0: Sure, sure. Now, I, I, I absolutely agree that the uh, the suck it up buttercup is still there a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's still lingering uh, for the, the older guys, um, but I have noticed that the younger generation is okay talking about it and wants to talk about it and wants to get things off their chest and doesn't want to take this stuff home and is okay seeking help, whether it's through peer support, whether it's through an EAP, whether it's through a different clinician. There's, there's all sorts of options out there, and I think our role as peer supporters is to show them the way. Show them what options are out there and see what's best for them. Amen. Yes. And and I I know that's what you've been doing. Um, You know, Lord knows we've learned a lot in my city just uh, everything we've dealt with. Uh, It's kind of sped up the process of figuring out what we need to do.
1: Right. Yes. Yeah. When you think about everything that uh, just Dayton and and your region has gone through um, this year alone. yeah, the, the services that we're able to provide one-on-one through our peer supporters all the way up through, like you say, EAP and the, and the professional clinicians, um, we're making a difference. We're doing good things and we're saving people. We're saving our brothers and sisters or what we're doing. And um, to me, I don't take that lightly. That's just when when someone comes to me with a problem, um, whether it's a a fire ground problem or an at home problem or whatever, you know, uh, they came to me because they trust me and I can't take that trust lightly. And I want to make sure I'm going to, I try to steer them in the right directions. Um, And I, Jim, I'm telling you, I think all of our peer supporters, what we are trying to do to the fire service or with the fire service, I think we're doing good and uh, we just got a little bit more to go.
0: Yeah, we're definitely getting there, but you know, it's going to be a process. It's going to take a generation or two, but it's definitely changing, which is which is good. I didn't know I I didn't think I'd ever see it like this to where we were open and we could communicate and we could just talk freely about this and not be shamed about it. You know, not internalize all this stuff. I didn't think that was going to come, not with my department. Sure. And it 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 actually has. So it's it's been a good thing.
1: Um, You know, when you hear that FDNY guys are sitting around their dinner table talking about mental health, talking about, you know, um, what they've been through or just uh, their peer support programs and all that, that never would have happened before 9-11. 9-11 really, I think, shined a light on the fact that firefighters are a different, we process things differently than the than the general population, police, fire, medic, um, even nurses, doctors, and all that, we process things just a little bit different. So we're our own special kind of crazy. Um, and the the general EAP or general clinicians sometimes don't have um, the the skill set because they've taken a different focus in their in their professional career. Um, what we're finding now is a lot of clinicians are paying attention to our special population, what makes us tick. And um, and we're seeing some really good results from people that are understanding of us. So, yeah, um, I think that um, 15 years ago, you wouldn't have sat around talking about it. The fact that we're doing it now, I think, says volumes about the leadership of of the departments being able to make it safe that everyone can sit around and talk. But you got to give kudos to the, the younger generation firefighters because they're not afraid to talk about it. You know, sometimes they get a bad rap for different things, but, um, you know, their openness and willingness to um, uh, you know, talk about, you know, something that's so abstract is mental health. That does say a lot about them.
0: No, absolutely. Uh, you know, I was, I was part of the Firefighter Cancer Board Network for a long time. And really the best thing that they had was a mentor program. And what that was is that when you were diagnosed with cancer, you'd give them a call and they put you in touch with another firefighter that has that same type of cancer. And Mm -hmm. by sending hundreds of people to that, you know, over my years and being involved, you know, I realized how powerful, I mean, that was really my first, I think, introduction to, to really peer support because these individuals had an easier time talking to a firefighter, even if they're throughout the country, than um, talking to their friends and talking to their family because they just, they didn't get it. But these other firefighters, they got it. They understood.
1: Isn't that amazing?
0: It is amazing. I'll tell you, I'll tell you another story. Um, that's happened recently. Um, I was in California I was in uh, South Lake Tahoe working with the department there and I got the call that one of our members, uh, had passed away and, uh, it's pretty helpless feeling of being that far away, not able to do anything. And, uh, the cool thing was, um, I just needed to talk to somebody and I knew my peer supporters were talking to everybody there, talking to my crew, um, Mm -hmm. handling things in my city. Um, but I still needed help. And uh, I reached out to South Lake Tahoe and asked to talk to one of their peer supporters. And they were awesome. It was amazing. I uh, I mean, just to be across the country and have the ability to reach out and talk to somebody and uh, just have them with open arms. Yeah, yeah, sit down. Let's talk, you know, and just be there for
1: you. And to the point. Have, I think about the brotherhood and the sisterhood so much. You know, we we always say that we work within the best profession in the world, but you know, I think of business people that work a typical nine to five job, which you know is still probably a ten or twelve hour job nowadays, um, five days a week. Um, and I think they're missing out when they don't have the ability to just walk down the street on any city that they're in and strike up an immediate connection with somebody um, like we can. We walk into a fire station in any city in the country and we've automatically got that brotherhood, sisterhood. We got a cup of coffee in our hand before we know it. And we're sharing stories that everybody can relate to. And we are so fortunate to do that. Name
0: another occupation in which that would be possible. Exactly. I and, it just, I don't think it. I don't think there is one. You know, she, she even texted me, I think yesterday, checking in on me. It's been about a month. I mean, it's just, a, it's just amazing. Um, some of these peer supporters, and like you said, the brother and sisterhood.
1: Mhm. It's, you know, um, well, like I say when I'm when I'm going around and I've been fortunate, you know, to go around to different departments, I'm really fortunate that my, my own Rain department believes in this so much, you know, they're enabling me to, uh, to go out and do this and talk. But, you know, being in another state, you know, several hours away from home and I give a talk and next thing I know the chief comes to me and says, hey, you know, can you come and help me just talk with one of my firefighters? You know, we're having some issues. I'm like, well, we don't even know each other, but we've already got this connection. They know I care. And here I am, multiple states away, looking up resources and trying to help. And yeah, and the same thing. You know, I have already reached back up there um, to figure out, hey, how are things going? Uh, are, you, are you doing well? Are you doing okay? And we're, we're so fortunate. We're blessed to be able to, to be involved in an occupation like we are.
0: I was just about to say, we're we're blessed. He took the words from me. No, it is absolutely true. So, I am, uh, the fact that you're spreading this here locally in Ohio, but also all over the country, I mean, it's, we need people like you to, to tell everybody, to go through your struggles. I know that's got to be hard, um, bringing us up over, over and over and over and over again and kind of reliving it, but... Uh, I have to imagine that you feel like uh, you know that it's it's helping more than hurting. is that is that fair to say?
1: well, I, I think it's it's still important to like like you said, you know, you still, even as a peer supporter, sometimes you need help. Um, the, just because you tackled something in the past doesn't mean you're over and done with it. You know, I continue, I go through mental health checkups, I go through. And I, am trying to keep myself mentally healthy along with physically healthy. But when I do a talk, I have a period where I'm kind of irritable because it does, it is very draining to do that talk. Um, I would say 90% of the time my peer supporter comes with me and that's my wife, because I think it's so important to have somebody there in everybody's life, whether it's a, a spouse, uh, a, a good friend a mom or dad brother and sister a co-worker peer that you can that is always there available to bounce things off of um, and I've been I've been blessed in the, uh, totally uh, with having my wife be available to accompany me through a lot of these places um, because quite frankly she gets asked a lot of questions too what did you see we've had several talks where spouses have come and they've been able to talk to my wife and say, what did you notice? You know, what was he doing? Because I get up there and say, Oh, I'm doing fine. And she sits there and shakes her head. You weren't fine. <laughs> you know, um, she's my, she's my, uh, moral compass or, you know, she keeps me guiding straight. I think we um, all need those. Exactly. I think we really need that. Um, one of the things that I worry about is, you know, some of my firefighters, if they go home to an empty house or, Uh, you know, holidays coming up. What's, you know, invite them back up to the firehouse if they got a day off or, or, um, you know, to to come up, maybe eat with your family. You know, it's, that's what we are. We are our family. And I, you know, sometimes I hate my brothers and sisters just like, you know, growing up. But (laughs) hey, family's family. You never can break that. And uh, I'll always be there for them no matter what we go through.
0: You know, I and I've had the pleasure of being around you and your wife a few times now, and you can definitely tell that you are got you guys are a team. hmm And everything's fair. Everything is fair game with you guys. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, it's actually, absolutely. It's
0: actually pretty fun.
1: Oh yeah, sometimes. <laughs> well, at least for me. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm sure. <laughs> huh. uh, she's, you know, I, I I say she's my best friend. She's my peer supporter. She's my rock. She. Um, we do a lot together we're probably codependent code which is probably unhealthy but um you know we really do we bounce things off each other we talk about everything uh, we don't always agree and we've gotten into a couple of those you know arguments where you know i end up being wrong <laughs> but you know it's um, it ain't so oh <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know there's a lot of jokes about that but Um, you know, I think it's just so important to have somebody like that because at the end of the day, that's who I come home to. And she wants to make sure that, you know, when I retire, we have a nice, long, healthy relationship in that retirement and we both work on each other. Nice. Very nice. Yeah.
0: Let me, uh, get you out on this. I I appreciate your time so much as always. Um, Let's do some uh, of these 25 random questions is how I like to end my show. So I like for you to uh, actually choose your fate. Uh So everything's numbered one through 25. Go ahead and pick a number. I'm ready for you.
1: Oh, boy. Let's do. I was going to say how many years I've been married, but it's over 25. So let's just do lucky number seven.
0: Everybody does this one.
1: Oh, really? Well, okay. We'll we'll, we'll change it up then. Let's do
0: That's <laughs> It is funny how the same ones keep coming up.
1: <laughs> Let's do 23. Okay.
0: <laughs> what What are your thoughts on clowns?
1: <laughs> Let's do number 7. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get clowns, man. I you know, I always thought they were supposed to be fun and funny and everything. I haven't seen a funny clown um, in years. And to think that people have uh, phobias about them. look at the stuff that comes out, you know, that, that whole Stephen King stuff. Wow. I never would have thought a clown could be scary, but my gosh, eh, they, they did a good job with it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to watch those movies. I don't like yeah. scary movies. Can yeah. I tell you, can I tell you a clown story? Let's hear it. All right. Um, I was 16 years old I was driving to my friend's house and I got T-boned uh, on the way there and I went inside, there was a store right there and I went inside to call my dad to let him know that, you know, I got hit. And, and I told him, you know, Hey, cause I was only five minutes away from him. So I said, Hey, I'm over here. Uh, I just got hit by a couple of clowns um, and, <laughs> you know, can you come here and check everything out? Help me out. And so he, he gets there and he's thinking that he's going to pull up and there's going to be these assholes or something, you know, that, that hit me. And they're literally,
1: they're literally dressed
0: literally, clowns. Clowns. literally dressed up as clowns.
1: <laughs> he had, so, he had to appreciate the irony there.
0: Oh, I, I told him how it was. He had, I don't think he, he took me literally, but, uh, no, that was good stuff, because he went instantly from being pissed off to, oh, yeah. to like, <laughs> all right, this is kind of funny.
1: He's there for a fight, and next thing you know, you got Bozo the Clown running around. That's right. But, see, clowns were supposed to be fun. If you had three it clowns there, I don't yeah. know if it would have gone the same way, right?
0: No, definitely not.
1: <laughs> That's a good one.
0: All right. all right, what else? Pick another number.
1: Oh, let's do number 10.
0: What is the most beautiful place you have ever been?
1: Wow. Uh, I've been just got back from Colorado this past year. I'd never been out there during the summer. Um, it was absolutely gorgeous. But. Wow, I I would say I would say any place outside. I just love being outside. Um, we went out west uh, to Yellowstone Park and just spent some time out there with the camper. Um, just the, the beauty of nature. Uh, I'd say any place outside is, is gorgeous. And I can't put it, I can't rank them because each, each experience is different.
0: All right. Fair enough. How about, uh, how about one more?
1: Okay. Let's do number three. Oh favorite was movie the, was that the uh the the, the treasure chest opening up <laughs> <laughs> no
0: <laughs>
1: no F- what's what is
0: Steve Kahn's favorite movie
1: oh boy i'm kind of like a uh a, a, a movie freak i love movies um Wow I would have to say it's kind, of, it's kind of obscure because a lot of people don't know about it. But I would say Master and Commander with Russell Crowe. It's uh, about tall-mast ships back in I, the 1600s.
0: I don't think I ever saw it, but I do remember it. I do recall it. Yes.
1: Just the the scenery, the the, the something about those tall-mast ships and how they were able to navigate, and the scenery and being out there in, in the ocean. And of course the fight scenes are pretty intense, but uh that's a pretty good movie. It's a long one. You have to sit through it, but I do like it.
0: I don't know if I have the attention span to sit through anything like that.
1: I would say any Pixar movie then too. How's that?
0: Oh, you think nothing can go wrong with that.
1: No, you can. I think no, can't. I, in fact I did
0: watch uh Finding Nemo and Finding Dory today. As oh. as yes. So
1: you have had a relax relaxing day. haven't you? I
0: haven't done anything today. This <laughs> this is this is pretty much the highlight of my day. The most uh, ambitious I've been all day. Just uh, you know, we had that uh, that bonus hour on the medic yesterday. So oh, good you, for you. Well, everybody else got an extra hours sleep. I got an extra hour being up.
1: <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. I um, you need that every now and then. Good for you. Your kids will remember that, or unless you were watching it by yourself.
0: No, the kids were watching and it. it was in, it was in the background for me. I pretty much know it by heart now.
1: I have been known to watch SpongeBob by myself before, but.
0: I'm not judging.
1: <laughs> that comes out during my therapy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, I'm not going to top that.
1: Oh, oh my God. So
0: <laughs> thanks again for joining us. Uh, thanks for sharing the story here and really everywhere else. Um, Clearly, it's already made a difference. So I implore you to keep up the good work. And
1: uh, I think being able, to, being able to make connections like, I, you know, I've been able to meet you in the past couple of years, and Nick, and all these people that are, uh, you know, we're, we're doing good. We're doing good things. We've got the cancer initiatives. We've got the uh, mental health initiatives. We're, we're, we're doing good things, changing the fire service. Um, thanks to you guys for keeping up the the opportunities to talk. Um uh, like we're seeing the, we're seeing the fire service change for the better. I think.
0: And I agree, because because I believe both those topics were pretty taboo, going back a decade.
1: Mhm.
0: And now, now that are really the two biggest topics there are. I agree. So it's a, for me it's a good feeling that that's actually here that we can discuss this and not be shamed or ridiculed, you know? Right. Judged. And if Absolutely. they, and if, and if, we are, let much tell them we don't give a shit.
1: <laughs> you know, 34 years into the job, I don't give a damn. <laughs> I don't care if you think, you know, what you think about me right now, you know, because I, I'm, I've got people that are still here sharing this job with us. And if myself or any of our, our other peer supporters hadn't been around for them, you know, Lord knows what would have happened. So you can call me what you want. I don't care.
0: I will call you my friend.
1: Well, thank you, friend. I appreciate it.
0: Yes, and I'll get out of here on this. Thanks a lot, Steve. Okay, Jim. Talk to you later. Take care, buddy. All right, bye.
1: Bye.